welcome to Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you very much for joining us today. Give us a call at 515-602-9609. I had a little audio difficulty yesterday. I just want to make sure my mic is working. <laughs> How's everybody doing during this quarantine time? I keep on repeating that I really don't like to carbon date my, my radio show, but you know, everybody's stuck at home and, and uh, watching a lot of Netflix and, and Apple Plus and, and Disney Plus and just a lot of shows. So what shows are you watching? Give us a call. Let us know what you've been watching. Today we have Sierra Foster on today. Actress, basketball player, martial artist. Can't wait to talk to her. I've been watching a lot of Grace and Frankie myself. I know I told you that I finished it. I've been re-watching it now. I don't want to watch that Tiger show. It just it, it, it reminds me of, of why this world is being destroyed. <laughs> so I really don't want to give it any credence. I really don't want to give it any, any, any air. So I'm kind of skipping that. Plus Community. All, all series of Community is on Netflix right now. So... That's a fantastic show. I see Sierra's on right now. Let's let's bring her on right now. Hello. Hello. Hey. How are you? <laughs> Good. How about you? Man, I am fantastic, and I'm happy to be joining you. Thank you so much. You know, before we get started, let me ask you. I was having some audio problems yesterday. Can you hear me from my mic right now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. It doesn't sound like I'm, I'm speaking from my computer, right? Uh, no, it wasn't. It's not super crisp, but it's totally. It's not terrible. It's, it's totally doable. I would tell you. I'm very. I would tell you. Okay. Okay. So you know, you have you have a, a very long history in the in the martial arts and in basketball and in movies. But I I want I want to first get to how are you and your family doing right now during this uh, during this uh, lockdown period. We are, we're doing good. You know, uh, most of my family is quarantined up north uh, together. I have a few people still here, but um, as you can see, I'm doing a lot of work from home and I'm doing a lot of mental health stuff. And so I feel the, the need to be here and I praise God that I'm healthy and able to do so. So we're doing, we're doing, we're doing okay. Thank you for asking. How are, how are your family and friends doing? They're doing well. I've got a lot of family north, um, closer to San Francisco and, and, uh, and Washington, what have you. so I'm a little worried about them, especially my mother, whose birthday is today, but I'm a little worried oh. about them, but it, yeah, everything, everything's going to be fine. I think everything's going to be fine. Uh, bon Capriano, Mama. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from Northern California, so you, you're, you're not an yes. L.A. brat, are you? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I was recruited down here. Uh, to play basketball in the NCAA on scholarship. So I actually uh, lived in San Francisco for about two years, went to JUCO out there, and then was recruited down to Southern California nice. at the state tournament. And prior to that, I'm originally from Sacramento. So shout out to NorCal. Shout out Sac- Sacramento. <laughs> so Sacramento. what came first, the martial arts or, or, or basketball? Absolutely martial arts. My father is a Sang Sula master. He was trained by the same master who um, – 
trained uh, Chuck Norris, and they were sparring partners. And um, so it was something that I, I grew up with, and it was just kind of something you had to do in my house. So my yes, was absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, uh, Chuck Norris had a martial arts school close to me in in, in Tarzana. He had the uh, the karate center over there. But uh, so your 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 father trained with Chuck Norris. Yeah, they sparred a couple of times because they had the same um, the same master, the same teacher. So um, right. that's definitely something that as I got older, because I didn't know who Chuck was when I was little, and so then as I got older, I was like, ah, so. So when did you start getting into weapons in the martial arts? Did you start just first getting into into the basics and then into into weapons as well? Or so basically, uh, my father he was really submerged and immersed in the entire culture, and he would martial arts and then also many Asian uh, Eastern cultures and also African cultures at, at Capoeira, and that included some like ancient weaponry. That's why right. my first weapon, I naturally, I think, gravitated towards, like, the quarterstaff. Um, but I remember he used to show us, it's funny, me and my dad were talking about this the other night. He used to show us these really old martial arts videos with these really interesting weapons, and sometimes the person themselves, given the different, like, style, a lot of times the animal style is just really cool, uh, right. would be themselves weaponized. But there was also sometimes where we'd watch these really old movies, martial arts movies from all around the world, and they had all these really unique weapons. So I always thought that that was something that was really uh, interesting. And my father always was trying to find out new ways. Like, he's obsessed with me uh, learning how to fight with the size now, like little Electra swords. And he, oh, really? I hosted a video not long ago, yeah, with him him fighting with them. I think my, my, my dad's particular, although all my siblings are trained. But me as a girl in particular, I think that he really was excited. And then as I grew and he saw my height and my physicality. Um, right. You know, he expanded upon that. But particularly when I got to Hollywood, um, I decided to, a funny story, I was recruited. I was at a Will I Am event showcasing one of his artists. And I was invited for a friend. I'd only been in L.A., L.A., L.A. for about two months. Um, this was after I stopped playing basketball. And um, I was recruited by a modeling agency in Beverly Hills. And I only lasted there two months. And I stopped the modeling agency and I enrolled in fight school and uh, <laughs> acting school. And I trained at the uh, Academy of Combat in uh, in the Theatrical Academy of Combat in Burbank. Right. Dan and Jen Speaker. I don't know if you know oh, them. Oh, yeah. I know they, them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they choreographed Hook, Master, and Commander. And then they really broke down weapons for me, not only at a fundamental level, but at a film and cinematic level. So that was really cool. They trained me in uh, Perry's. So I do uh, – my weapons of choice are the quarterstaff, which is kind of like a lightsaber or like better, better example. Now I could say is exactly what the Dora Milaje used in uh, black Panther. And then right. uh, also the broadsword, which is like a big heavy sword that I like to wield again because of my size, which is uh, reminiscent of Conan the Barbarian. And then the cutlass, which is like parts uh, of the Caribbean. Oh, absolutely. Well, you're five foot 11. So, I mean, those, those weapons must look wonderful on you. Yeah. Five foot 11. That's like mine. <laughs> According to online, but you know, it's so funny because I, because my agents in the past, they would always say, you know, you can't tell how you are, but I'm very proud that I'm much older. I'm actually six feet. And so, Whoa. um, not that means one inch, yeah, yeah, six feet and like literally half an inch. So I, I think that, uh, you know, you just have to own who you are. And later I expanded upon my training and I trained with 
I don't know if you know who Robert Goodwin is, but he trained Robert Downey Jr. for um, yeah. Iron Man. Yeah, and so at Film Fighting LA, so I trained with him for a year, and then I started getting to like the tactical stuff and actual hand to hand. He brought in wrestlers, and we would do workshop on falls. I would reenact sword fights from Kill Bill, and we would do like uh, some some workshops where we would do all SWAT and firearms. Nice. So something I like to do. Yeah, well, Robin's a great guy. He really helped out Robert with a, with a lot of his stuff before, and that was during a, a very tough time in Robert Downey Jr.'s life. So. A lot of times he oh credits God. to martial arts, you know, to, to helping him out through that tough period in his existence. Yeah. Yeah. His story is one that I always um, find very, very uh, inspirational. And yeah. I mean, what an epic comeback story. Oh, right. my God. It just shows you anything is possible. And if you, if you just believe in yourself and that you truly can transcend circumstance and he's oh yeah launched the entire i mean iron man pretty much launched that entire avengers franchise like oh, made right. it really take off i mean they had fantastic four and some other stuff but it just shows that you know anything is possible when you believe in yourself well they had no idea that that uh, iron man would really take off the way it did but it really blew off the the entire uh, mcu and and when you see the end, well, at least the end for Endgame, uh, you can't imagine him, uh, the, the, sh- the movie without him in it. Oh, totally. I think the one person who might have known was John Fairview. You know, the, he, uh, as I saying his name correctly, the one that directed... Uh, John Favreau, yeah. He, yes, yeah, I can never say his name right again. He directed <laughs> Swingers and, you know, even that. Yeah. It comes from doing, like, you know, with Vince Vaughn and Swingers, which was like a super, like, bootleg, yeah. small production, became a classic. So, you know, now you're like, he doesn't even have to act anymore. You know, he's just, it's just really amazing, the power. Of it's fantastic. Movie. Well, John Favreau is a genius as well. I mean, he, he made The Mandalorian. Uh, soon, pretty soon he's going to be directing oh, really? his own Star Wars. Yeah, he, he made the, yeah, he made The Mandalorian. He's incredible. Oh. See, he's actually someone I, again, I really, really look up to. I have like a handful of people that I truly, really, really look up to because the way he's diversified himself and gotten so much, equity and creativity in, in, in these, in these, in ownership in these projects right. um, over time, it, you know, everyone looks at him now like, Oh, he's, you know, a genius, but even to the common person, he's not all in the forefront like that, you know, but he's right. behind a lot of this stuff. And I really respect that. And that's something oh, on a business aspect that I, I, I'm trying to get into as far as producing. Oh, you're working very hard. You know, people like him, they, you know, they, they bleed hard and they, they stand in the background. And, and then, you know, they're very wise, they're very smart, they're very articulate, like yourself. And then when they really shine, they shine very bright. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think it's all about your intention, too. Like, you can tell even when he does his little cameos that he actually genuinely um, loves what he's doing, believes in it. And for me as I've grown in myself and my career, I realized like, I don't have to be at the forefront of everything. I'm going to be blessed in just doing what I do, but I'm really to the point where I want to give other people opportunities. Right. right. Um, so, yeah. Well, before we talk about producing, let's talk about your NCAA days. So when did you get started in basketball and what was that experience like? So I, so people don't believe this, but I have the receipts to, to prove it. And if you go really deep on Google, you could probably find it. I don't even know why I would share that. But I used to be a little yeah. chubby-wubby. 
I was a chubby little kid. And when you're five, seven and you're 12 years old, you know, kids can be kind of cruel. And I used to be very introverted, which again, nobody will believe. And I remember I had to take a elective the year that I was going into um, middle school for summer right. school. I took summer school and I had to take an elective. And the only elective that was available that I could take was acting. And I remember um, they played the movie for us, uh, A Midsummer's Night's Dream. And mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Pfeiffer played Queen Titania and, I, and she was Queen of the Fairies. It's a Shakespeare play. It's my favorite play. And I, it's my first time I'd ever really seen Shakespeare, 12 years old, and everything made sense. I was so subconscious because of like right. my size and, and everything. And I saw this woman who was like, the queen of the fairies. So it made sense that she was like, you know, literally like larger than life. And just the, the fact that I was like, Oh my gosh, you can, you can, you can transform into another, another person and people will enjoy it. And then you can play right. with other people. I thought that was so amazing to me. And we ended up putting on that play at my, at my school in that, in that drama class. And um, I was cast as queen Titania. And it was my first time thinking like, Oh, 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 this is mine. And I was really invigorated by it. But what happened was so I fell in love with acting. So going into that school year, the way it ties to basketball is I was then as soon as school started, I was recruited um, to play basketball. Uh, a girlfriend of mine, she, I was going to her house when my best friend, Elena Ortiz at the time, she now she's very gay, so it's so funny how time flies. But now, but then I was going to her house, and I had to stay there after school because my mom had to work. And she loves basketball. And so she was trying out for the basketball team. And she said, see, I just, you know, come on. And when I got there, the coaches wanted me to try out. So they recruited me, and they wanted me on the team. And I had to decide between basketball full-time or drama full-time. And although I really had an affinity for drama, I am the first person in my immediate family to graduate from college. And I knew at a very early age, uh, my mom. And, and really? That's, really? That's a lot of pressure. Well, you know, I, I saw it as an opportunity, though. I saw it as a positive thing. And I actually, my mom, I used to go to, you know, God bless my mom. I used to go with my mom because she had a babysitter. And luckily, her, yeah. some of her teachers were cool. So when she was in college, I used to go to her psychology classes and her political science classes and her American, African-American literature classes. And so wow. for me, I was like excited to go to college. I've been in college since I was like six years old. So, <laughs> so I chose to do the athletic route because I, I knew uh, that it was a way that I could, you know, everyone, we just talked about my height and my physicality and it was also a way um, where my family supported me. And again, being a chubby little kid, um, when I played basketball, everything changed. Now it made sense. My size mattered and I was part of a team. So acting took a back seat and basketball took over for about 11 years. And I'm so grateful for it because it really set the foundation for my work ethic and my people skills and just life in general. Right. Well, that's incredible that, you, you know, your, your mom really set you up and your father really set you up for success. Uh, yeah, you, it didn't you, seem you, like you, it at the time, though, when you have to go to practice <laughs> every day when everybody's having fun. But I think my mom, she kept me so busy that I didn't have time to be in trouble because I was always tired. <laughs> right. Were you, are, you an, are you an only child? 
No, no. I have an older brother, uh, Nick Foster, a.k.a. Machine Digital. He's actually the one that did the, did the flyer that I sent you. And, um, oh, nice. He does a lot of my graphics. My brother, is, uh, he's really my secret weapon. He's a yeah. singer, art director, and a graphic designer by seems trade. Like it seems and like your family is a weapon. Oh, yeah. My, you know, Google flew my brother twice to China to design the packaging for Beats by Dre. And he designed all the graphics for uh, Transformers at Universal Studio. I mean, he's done, and that's just like the smaller things he's done. But wow. um, I think I think it's just, it was a perfect blend. And definitely we're far from perfect. And, but, uh, and my mom ended up being a single parent. And then so my relationship with my father for a long time was strictly martial arts based. Um, but, uh, and I talk about that a lot in like uh, my mental health live stream and stuff but I think that ultimately I had one parent who was like preaching you know strong physicality and physical strength and then I had another discipline you fight with your mind you know Hmm. so uh I really am thankful you know for for both of them in, in that regard and then my brother he you know was the person that just really pushed me in like a protector and is really, you know, tells me, you know, you can do anything, but he's, he's very hard on me, but right. he, he just certainly believes in me. And then I have two half siblings that I didn't even meet until I was uh, 18 and wow. I have a half, a half sister. Yeah. And a half brother. And I just really love them. And they're also trained in martial arts. Uh, they're the, from my father's side. So uh, I feel, nice. I feel really, really blessed. You are blessed, you, you know. So you had some, you had some baby weight, and were you were you tall? Were you tall as well, or did or did you have growth spurts oh, sometime yeah. in your life? So I don't know what happened, but I used to be really little, and then all of a sudden I had like a crazy growth spurt. But I have, you know, my 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 mom is she likes to say she's five seven, but I think she's five six. But anyways, my right. dad is six <laughs> and my grandfather is six five. Right. Um, on my mind, that's probably where I get it from. But yeah, I was, I got, you know, between, I think around like fifth or sixth grade, I got really, really tall. And then I, I and, um, you know, I'm African American, Native American, and Italian, but, you know, coming from a predominantly African American family and soul food, and that part of my family is from the right. land, uh, food was a very prominent thing, you know, for when we would come together. And if you're happy, you ate. If you're sad, you ate. If you're bored, you ate. And so <laughs> nutrition, you know, right. is not really a strong point. And I also just really quick want to highlight, because I talked about this on my live the other day, that, or excuse me, I was talking about this with my dad, actually, but a lot of people don't know, and I'm not knocking it, and I'm proud of my heritage, but a lot of people don't know that soul food, which is, like, really the center type of food in African-American culture, was actually derived from, like, food that, slave owners throughout and that's right slaves would go yeah that's why they call it soul food because it fed your soul and kept you alive so a lot of the food was actually like the fattiest part of something or like chitlins or like you know just certain things and and so um now my family is very um you know very helpful my grandmother uh passed from cancer about three and a half years ago and my family really got like alkalines and my mom actually researched holistic uh traditions and kept her alive a year and a half longer so we really right. changed our diets and we just um really promote like health but yeah i was a a little chubby wubby because we were well, not with a lot of money so yeah right 
Well, you you, you mentioned uh, you know soul food. It, it's it's very interesting about how slave music as well started gospel music, started country music, bluegrass, started yeah, rock co- you know started rock and roll, then started pop. I mean, you wouldn't have any of that without the old the old time music and the old time food as well, which blew up yeah. in Louisiana. Yeah, because you have the difference between Creole and Cajun. Totally, totally. Um, yeah. I I just think that there's so much of there's there's always something like what we're going through now that can be seemingly negative. Right. Clearly, slavery was like the ultimate form of negativity. Right. Impression. Sure. But yeah. There always can be some some positive that 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 come out of things. Right. We grew up. We that grew out of it. You know, it's a, it's a lesson to be learned. I mean, there's a, there's a lesson to be learned from all experiences. So, so you had that baby weight when you were young. You, you know, you're go, you're going playing basketball. Uh, the acting started kicking in at, at what age? So when I was 22, after I had arrived to Southern California, I was training all summer, endlessly conditioning um, at Cal State San Bernardino. Turned down a turned down a full ride to SS State. For a partial at Cal State San Bernardino because something that's, just that's told crazy. me to come here. Everyone that's said crazy. that. Everyone was like, "That's freaking crazy." I also had um, an offer to St. Mary's and also um, wow, one to play volleyball at Atlanta, and then also, and I don't even play volleyball, and then also one. And we also created from the state tournament, so for me to take that school, everyone was like, "I was a finalist in the state tournament and a captain," but something wow. was just calling me, and lo and behold, the day before my first. Pre preseason game against uh, San Francisco State, I literally snapped my patella, which is like oh. a, a tendon in your your kneecap. And yeah. you know, I had been, I actually ran track and field for four years. I played basketball and I did martial arts all my life, and I never had a major injury. And literally, this particular day at practice, all I did was take what they call a negative set. I didn't cross over between two defenders. Like nobody touched me. I literally just was dribbling, and I took a step, and something snapped. And wow. Yeah, and so after that, I went through a phase where I was just like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And I was really actually, in fact, depressed because I had been my identity for so long, and now I'm stuck in San Bernardino. I sold my car because I thought it was like San Francisco. You didn't need a car. And right. lo and behold, I found out that, in fact, I was so far from L.A., like out, like two hours away, Um you know, and that's in good traffic. And so I right. was really, really sad. So finally, um, I have this thing where I go through my little depressive phases, which I'm really open and transparent about. And sure. then I get tired of being sick and tired. You know, now I'm good, but you know, when you're younger, you don't know what's happening. So I don't right. allow those type of moments to, to overtake me. But back then, I was like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? So one day, I decided to uh, call up my girlfriend, Victoria Yancey. She's a fellow. She was a, She's one of my best friends from college. And she's a business and finance major. Um, so she, well, now she has a degree. She's graduated. And um, she wanted, she has a passion for, for styling. So I called her up. I got a female student, makeup artist, another female student, photographer. And, um, and then Victoria, she went and we got some clothes. We hiked to a trail. I gave them donuts and coffee and paid them what I could. And we did my first photo shoot. After that, I got a job working with Nick Cannon. And on my way to work for him, um, I got an audition to do a court TV Nick Cannon, show. Nick, Nick Cannon, the entertainer. Yeah. On my way to, to, to go for my, you know, second day of work with that, 
I actually, and all of these things I was submitting, doing myself, no agent, no nothing. And so um, on my way there, I got an audition to go to, like, I was, like, doing these things to, like, LA Casting, to go to this um, Gloria Aldridge, you know, the, the lawyer now, and she had a court TV show back then. She was a judge. So long story short, um, I walk into this room, and there's all these older veteran actors, and they're all dressed like, you know, ready for, like, legal proceedings, you know, and that type of attire. Right. And they were having these mock debates, and they kept giving us these scenarios, and then people had to jump in and act them out. So I waited until one really resonated with me, and then something just took over me where I just jumped in, and I just started improv and going for it. So they started reading off the people that they wanted to stay to do the show, and I was the very last name they read off. So I ended up doing that, and even though, in my opinion, that's a very random form of acting, it was right. my first time on television, and I really fell in love with it and I was like I can do this and fast forward I had an opportunity through the Italian Film Festival to go to Cannes like less than a year later just a couple months ago my life just random things started happening I met the Italian Film Festival owners and then I, I ended up translating their programs because I was in school and I was a student because all they had were interns that were not exactly versed in English right. so I ended up getting an opportunity while I was still in college my teachers let me go, and I like, took my homework with me, and I went to Cannes. I met all these amazing celebrities, and I said, you know what? I could totally do this, and I came back, and that's when I enrolled in my first acting school. That's incredible. Yeah. Do, you, do, you think, do you think the discipline that your mother and your father instilled in you helped you along with, that, with those episodes, as well as basketball, I would say? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had – I would say – I wanted to say I've had – more losses in basketball than victories, but I'll be honest, I've only been on championship teams since I was 12. <laughs> that's not a brag. But, right. but I will say I learned more from the losses. And right. the losses that I had, in fact, were huge losses. I mean, I lost by two points at the California State Tournament you know, as a finalist. You know, um, right. I lost, I made it, you know, we won our conference. I went to the state tur- the state championship when I was in high school. And, you know, we, we, we lost that in the the game before the championship. So at the end of the, at the, end of the day, um, those moments of training for something relentlessly, relentlessly right. losing and coming back for more, you know, they say the definition of success is defined by, um, you know, going from one failure to the next without a loss of enthusiasm. And right. I truly believe that. And, um, my way of doing that mentally, I feel like I ascertained from my mother and the way I right. do that physically, I think I got from my, my father. My mother, my father held me to a standard because in martial arts, it's all about respect, as you know, as, as, a, as a black right. martial artist. But with my mother, she, she was always saying, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it to the best of your ability and you're going to do it with integrity and you're going to do it as a team player. So I would always become the captain of every team and I didn't necessarily want to at the time. But I was right. going so hard and doing my best that I guess it always came to the forefront and resonated with whomever I was around. So you know, definitely I love the, all of those things. I love the saying helped. by Denzel Washington where he says, if you, want, if you want to succeed in life, learn how to fail. Ooh, that's so true. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, totally. because it, it, when you said you, you, lost, you, you lost more than you won or what have you, it, it goes to show that you, you learned how to recoup from that. You learned how to succeed despite situations and, and that could really go into acting because 
a lot of people get turned down for roles, get turned down for this. They take it very personally and they can't even move on. But it seems like you can move on. When you, when you were in Europe and you were going through this uh, in Cannes or what have you, was there a specific moment you felt like, you know, I can do this? What, what moment was that? Okay, so these are so random, and, I, and I'm only telling you this because it's not, I don't want to be, like, named Dobby, but there are two things, right. and they're so random. Okay, I was at this, I was, okay, there's three things. So I was at this um, premiere um, for this, the movie, oh, oh, The Paperboy, and it was starting, yeah. starring John Kuzak, Nicole Kidman, Zac Efron, uh, and David Oyelowo, and so... Um, basically I was able to go to, through my connections with the festival, the earlier that day, it was, uh, uh, produced by Avi Lerner and mm. also, uh, Lee Daniels. And so early, I actually met Lee Daniels and Lee Daniels he, earlier that day. Oh yeah. He's fantastic. So after later at the party, um, you know, or he introduced me, I don't know if it was earlier that day or at the party. I think it was earlier the day right before the party because everybody goes from the premiere and it goes from day to night and we walk over to the venue. Um, and so he goes, oh, Sierra. Yeah, I was with a bunch of Italians. And he goes, oh, Sierra, have you met Cuba? And Cuba Gooder Jiggert was there. And it's so funny to me because <laughs> I'm, you have to remember, I'm a kid in college. I'm a freaking basketball player and I'm a kid from Sacramento. So, right. uh, you know, and here I am in freaking France meeting Cuba Gooding Jr. talking to Lee Daniels and going to this crazy party. And so I just kind of shook my head, and then we all went inside and watched the show. So after we walked to the party, and we're at the buffet line, and they had all this amazing um, French food. But again, mm. I was eating soul food. I'm a kid from Sacramento. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was not familiar with it. And so there was a couple things that were very, very foreign to me. And right. so I was at the, literally, it was like a buffet-style line. And so all of a sudden, Cuba Gooding Jr. comes over to me, and he's like, he's talking and I'm like quiet I'm looking at the food I'm looking at him and all of a sudden I just turned to him because I've always been myself like I've always been super chill I just turned right. to him I said hey I said, you know I'm American right and I lie to you not he goes oh snap <laughs> and it was like the coolest moment and then you know we had a little joking moment but it was it, I realized that you know these are just regular people I also went to the right. manual the bathroom and out from Zac Efron and I said hey you know because I'd never seen Zac in a serious role I'd only see him on you know like high school musical and stuff, musical, yeah. yeah and this was a very serious role oh Matthew McConaughey was in it was in it too um and um so I told him I said you know because I've always just connected people on a very genuine level and I think that's why I've been attracted to why I attract these kind of people in my life and I ended up forming relationships with them no matter who they are. And I said, right. you know, Zach, this was really, this was a really good, you, this was really good. And it really resonated with me. And I think that you're going to go on to do, you know, this is really going to break you out of that mold. He said, Oh, I really hope so. Thank you so much. And I saw that he was just a regular person that was just trying to take his career to the next level. And then the last right. thing that, and, it, and this is the, the weirdest part of that experience as at some point in the night, Nicole Kidman came and literally she like floated in. I swear she was like, she, she was floated like, in. She like glided in. <laughs> she was wearing, a, um, and everybody was like, Nicole, Nicole. And she was wearing a beautiful red gown. And I remember, and I just said, hi. And I was like speechless. And that doesn't really happen to me a lot, as you may know. Right. 
And I remember I was eye level with her. And, I re- and being eye level with her to me said, you know what? There's something the same about me and her. And, and right. her grace and her, and her beauty and her height is a strength. And that's when I was like, I can do this. I can right. do this. That, that's amazing that you're eye level with her. Because she, she is as tall as you are. Yeah, we're the exact same height. I went to the bombshell, uh, you know, for your consideration, uh, event for uh, bombshell with her and Charlie Stern. They were both my height. And, wow. um, you know, I don't ever let someone tell you what you can't do. So when I, so the acting bug came back to me and that passion I had when I was 12, but then also going from being chubby and, and my experience now having been an 11 year championship basketball player. So when I finally arrived to Cannes, that was the moment the universe and God activated me to go into my calling because I had all that experience within me now to stand in right. my truth. And it's gotten strengthened year after year. Right. You know, some people might have that baby weight forever. What, 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 grew, what grew you out of that weight? Well, athletics, for sure. Athletics and then um, just education, educating myself more on, on, on health. And, you know, it's still a process, you know. Now I'm getting yeah. more a definition in my physique. I, I think that um, it is something that we're, I, we all can continue to evolve and constantly learn. And I feel as we get older, in fact, a lot of times we're getting better because we're becoming, for some of us, like more aware. And uh, so I think that for sure athletics, uh, training and weapons and different things like that, Plus, the type of films that I have, I've, you know, typically been known for doing are very physical. So I'm very passionate about what I do. So I train very hard. So right. uh, a lot of it, too, you know, was diet. Because you can train all day long. But if your diet is crazy, when I say diet, I don't mean, like, torturing yourself. I don't believe in that. I just mean living a healthy lifestyle and just right. being aware. And a lot of it was connected to mental. I realized I would eat a lot emotionally or I would eat a lot because I was just bored. Right. That's just how I grew up. So right. I definitely think so, those things. So you you go off to Cannes and then you you come back to America. What ha- what happens next with your career? Well, I had to finish school, but while I was going to school, I was still training. I you know I was going to to classes twice a week, driving back and forth. Now that must LA. that must have been hard. Were you going to Cannes, meeting up all the stars, and then going back to class? Well, you know what's interesting? I I had a very good rapport, and I've always been very active in school. So, um, you know, I – and then again – and also, too, everybody knew me before as being an athlete. Uh, and then prior to, to – and then at some point, I represented the school in the Miss Black and Gold uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Beauty pageant um, for, for scholastic purposes. Um, and then, additionally, I became a – ambassador, a paid intern ambassador for the CPA, California Teachers Association, and Students for Quality Education. So I was so involved that my teachers entrusted me and supported me following my career. And I think that they actually were quite happy to see me come out of, you know, a slump and have like a second act following the end of my basketball career. So luckily, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of support in that regard. I was able right. to do both and it wasn't easy, but my life has not been easy. I had a lot of, a lot of challenges um, over the course of time that I'm actually grateful for. And I realize now they weren't happening to me, but in fact they were happening for me. 
So right. when I was doing all this stuff and even saying it, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. But at the time, I didn't feel like that because I was already trained, you know, to just do, like Mikey, just right. do it. Right. And I was doing so, things I love. So there were, there were a lot of things in life that were putting you down, trying to disperse your ability to be successful, and, and you fought through those things. Oh, yeah. I remember when I transferred schools. I, went, I mean, in 2009, um, I, I was at Sierra College in Rockland, and uh, for a particular reason, I had been ex- uh, pretty much commanded by my former coach at the time to do a bunch of really kind of unethical physical training things as a form of punishment um, because I was a captain. And I had to, I ended up running 68 miles in six days and doing a bunch of like bear crawls and jumping jacks and whatever. And I was determined to do whatever I had to do to keep my spot on the team. And, and, and um, because uh, myself and uh, during a tournament, another captain and like three other players tell room, like, really like we were being wise guys and we tried right. to go to a party and when we got to the party someone called the coach and said that you know that the gig was up so we were totally wrong for doing that and so we get back and I had trained and I remember one time I trained my incoming the incoming freshmen during the whole conditioning season leading up to that and I remember one time they dropped us off in a nearby city I'll never forget the city was called Lincoln and they told us to run back and it was several miles away so we ran back and then I even ended up going back and getting several of my my colleagues I wanted to make sure everybody finished right so we would they it, brought yeah. us to the snow yeah they brought us to like the snow and it was literally three degrees and they had us doing all these different challenges to build camaraderie and mental toughness so I say that to say I was really disheartened when the coach asked the rest of the team what should we do and to have us kicked off and I was so 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 sad because I thought we were closer to that but it prepared me for the politics of entertainment because (laughs) at the end of the day whether I trained them or not we were the starters so nobody got any playing time (laughs) when we were there so the coach decided that she didn't want to do that but she was going to make a make an example out of us so she said okay where you guys drove was 34 miles up and back was 68 so you have two weeks to run 68 miles. And she took every piece of gear from us. And I had to two do like... Two weeks to run 68 miles? Oh, yeah. And I had to do... Um, and um, it would rain and, and she, would clock, it would, she would clock our miles on the treadmill. We always had someone watching us. And if it wasn't raining, we had to run outside in the, in the hot sun in Northern California um, around, the, around the track. And again, somebody was literally watching us tallying every single thing we did. We had to do bear crawls in the football field. I remember for every game shoe, home and away, because when, you, when you're an athlete, you have a home gear and you have your away gear, you have your right. workout gear, your workout shirt. I had to do something pretty horrific for every single piece of gear that I owned, and I slowly got it back, which was also mentally demoralizing because, you know, I'd be um, on the bench and I wouldn't have, like, I'd have different shoes than everyone else because she didn't give me my shoes until I earned them back, or I'd have, you know, to wear a, a way jersey even though I was playing at home because she wouldn't give it back until I got it. So I went into overdrive, and we had one person drop out, but we banded together, and we ended up finishing in six days. We ran 68 miles in six days, 
So what ended up happening is we turned into real badasses, and then we got back to practice, and we were just running laps around people. We were just, you know, going long. <laughs> we turned into globetrotters, you know. Um, so that was great. But unfortunately, uh, one day I ended up collapsing because my body, even though I finished everything, my body right. was just shot, and a teammate of mine ended up drinking out of my Gatorade, and she had mononucleosis. So I was hospitalized Ooh. for mononucleosis, strep throat, dehydration, and exhaustion, and I was hospitalized right before Christmas 2009 for uh, 12 days, and I lost 18 pounds. And I actually almost died, Steve. Um, my nurses wow. were incredibly sick. My mother stayed with me every night. And then one particular night, she just had to go home and shower. My aunt stayed with me. And one nurse that was a bit cold all the time, she never really spoke too much to us, she called my mother and she said, if you say anything about this, I will deny it. But your daughter's not in good condition and we're, you know, we're going to lose her. And I really felt like I was dying because the doctor we had was supposed to be a seasoned doctor, but he kept giving me Dilaudid, which is eight times stronger than morphine. And I was yeah, really it is. getting out. Yeah. And he kept signing it off. He was supposed to only be given every four hours. Then he would sign off every two hours and I would just wake hold, up. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're, yeah. you're going through all these respiratory issues. And he gives you yeah. Dilaudid, which is actually a, 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 breath, a breath suppressor as well. Well, that makes sense because at the end of the day, I would literally just forget. I would wake up, forget how to breathe, and I'll be very, very candid with you. I yeah. literally felt myself slipping away, kind of going to, I guess you could say, the other side. And I was so scared that I just said, you know what, Mom? I don't want it. I mustered up all the energy because I couldn't even talk. I just said, yeah. you know what? They're going to kill me. I said, I'll just go with the pain. I'll fight through it. I'll just fight through that, it. But my body that's Im- wasn't That's more than unethical. That's, that's immoral. That's incredible. Yeah. So now I go through all this crap with the coaches. Also, too, I'm a student athlete. So everybody sees me at the whole campus. I'm, like, humiliated, all the faculty. And then I get hospitalized. And I remember I had, you know, basketball players, football players, my friends coming. And these are grown, huge athletes just bawling, crying, because they literally saw me on my my – my deathbed and so that night when that nurse called my mom she said if you say anything I'll deny this but your daughter is not doing well they don't know what they're doing and I've done research and you need to demand a a specialist and you need to demand she's put on steroids so my mom's being the rock star that she is because my mom she's all about peace and love and no violence but when when it comes to her kids or anyone's kids if it comes to like doing the right thing my mom is a lioness and she does not care and I think I get my tenacity for activism from her so she long story short she demanded that they bring in a specialist they brought in a young Indian doctor probably a little bit older than I am now and he put me on prednisone steroids immediately Uh my lungs opened up and I started breathing and I was released I had a fainting spell after that and then I had to take like half a year off um, um, because my spleen was enlarged so they said if you and you get hit, it can rupture, and you can bleed to death internally. And um, my white blood, my red blood cells have still been a little jacked up ever since then. But yeah. uh, I've been through some stuff. So, and I, and, I, and I thank God for those experiences. But my point in saying is, um, yeah, things haven't always been easy. Right. But I've overcome. And so far, I've made it through 100% of, uh, of my worst days. Yeah. 
That that coach really should be fired. I mean, that's that's an insane thing to do. You 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 had all these things going on with, with your breath, with your lungs. He gave you a breath suppressor, and it, it shut you down. I mean, you're lucky you're able to breathe. You're lucky you didn't die in the middle of the night. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Oh, and I I literally, thought I, was, I literally I when I got out of the hospital, I had one more. I tried to go to Victoria's Secret to buy my friend a candle to thank yeah. her for taking me to the hospital when this initially happened. And right. I guess I was overheated or whatever. I was super fatigued. I had on a wool sweater. And as I was fainting in Victoria's Secret, I looked at my mom because I knew I was going to, if I, I knew they were going to call the ambulance and I was going to be hospitalized again. And I said, mom, I don't want to die. That's the last thing I said to her. And then I went down. Um, wow. But yeah, you're right. I, I definitely felt like I was on the brink of death. Well, thank God you but were saved. Go ahead. Go ahead. Say this. No, go ahead. You'll say this. Oh, I just, I will say this. I remember the night before the God is so good. The night before that nurse called my mother, I remember saying, cause I couldn't talk. I was so weak, but I was going to have tubes all down my throat and stuff. And I said, I said, God, if you bring me through this, I promise you, I will not be mediocre because you know, when you're an athlete and you're young, right. you know, you get away with a lot of stuff and you know, you're, you're popular and all this type of stuff. And I said, I will change my life. And afterwards, that's when I ended up after a year, you know, half a year later of, you know, not being able to do anything and just, you know, having to go to school. And when I was in school, I still had to go to study hall and do all the different things like an athlete. And um, I ended up transferring by choice. Once I got healthy, took a drive down to San Francisco. I'll never forget it with my mom. And I went to San Francisco city college. They were the rivals, but they always went to state and they were one of our rivals. And I met right. with their coach, and it was funny because I walked in, and I was the captain of the other team of Doris. And um, <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember I saw the captain, and she was like Foster, and I was like Coach. And I was, I was very, it was like my first negotiation. I was like, this is what I want to do, and she was like, well, we don't take any crap, and you know. But I think I, everyone heard about what had happened to me, and she's like, really? I'm not going to take anything on you, but I'm going to be there for you, and she was, and. Right. Um, so I became the captain of that team. We, we, we went we went to state. And that team, actually, the conditioning was even crazier and harder in the last conditioning, but I was able to do it. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, long story short, yeah, it was totally, totally unethical. And, and unfortunately, my mother, she just, you know, she could have sued, actually, the city. She Absolutely. really could have. A hundred percent. But she was afraid. She was, you know, she didn't want us to have backlash. And she just didn't know. Right. Right. Do, do, do you believe having now. do you believe having technically a near death experience uh, helped you to have a different perspective on the future of your life? Oh, yeah. So when I went down to City College, I um, lived down there by myself, had no family there. I would get up at 5 a.m. I would go to study hall. I would train. I became the captain of that team. Um, I got on the dean's list. I had a 4.0 GPA. I mean, I was just so happy to be alive. I was like, I'm nice. going to earn a scholarship. I'm going to go to the state tournament. I'm going to be, you know, and I, I'm going to be the captain of the team. And I did. Right. Um, right. I did all of those, all of those things. And I had no time for nonsense. Um, right. And, but you didn't, uh, you, you didn't take that scholarship though. Okay. So city cat. Well, I, well, we went to the state state tournament and my cousin actually was the captain of SF state. So act, so I got called to, go to an open gym with them 
it was actually my, my tryout. They call it a run. So I was called right. to do a run with SF State. And I don't think the girls were necessarily thrilled about getting up at a, um, on a Saturday at 8 a.m. <laughs> to work out with me. And also maybe they thought because my cousin was a former captain or because, you know, we were the, we were the, you know, we went to state and we were the city college, junior college down the street. And then they were the big college, the more famous college. And they, they didn't have a great season. I don't know what it was, but I don't think they were feeling me. And I remember they were, they were literally playing ball with me. Like we were playing rugby and I'm a very physical player, but it was out of control. Like they literally, somebody ended up busting my lip. And uh, I remember that's like, that's like street ball. Oh, it was it was pretty hood. And you, you have to imagine, you know, these girls are like from like Oakland and Richmond and stuff. So they grew up oh. literally playing football. And so after it happened, I literally was so annoyed that I thanked everyone for their time. And then after I went and I ran on the track because I was also ran track and field in high school for four years. So I just burned off some steam and I had a really strict training regimen that I put myself on in San Francisco. And so I went and I was running my laps outside. And the coach came and found me, and he really wanted to have me there uh, because he saw my work ethic. But something just told me that that probably wasn't the best place for me to be. Right. So I ended up coming to SoCal. So you came out to SoCal, and, and let's get into your acting career here. What, 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 do you, what was the first thing that you did out here for your acting career? What, what, what was your jumping point? Um. Gosh, it's so long ago, and I'm trying to think. So I, I did the whole, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, if you consider the court TV an acting thing. It was for, it was fun, but the thing that I feel, and I did some other small independent things. Yeah. Um, uh, you did with, Freedom Checkpoint, and you did, uh, you know, yeah, the Mantle of Granny Bell. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like smaller little indie things. Um, but what really I feel like took off for me and like set things to go to at least the first next level. It's all about levels. Um, right. and now I'm at like another level, but to, to the first thing was when I was in acting school, um, I got a call. I, I was able to get myself some, some agents by doing a lot of independent stuff, a lot of LA casting stuff, a lot of stuff for free. Um, and what I, and, you know, a lot of film festival stuff. And so, and, and it wasn't the, the best of stuff, but it, it was a learning process. And um, when I was in acting school, I got a call. I put myself in a showcase. I'll back up because people might want to know that. I put myself in a showcase sure. and um, found it on L.A. Castings. And I was able to perform in front of managers and agents who were very hard on me. But there was one woman in particular, Deborah Lynn Finden, and she took over Beverly Long and Associates. Um, and she renamed it Discover. She didn't say anything, and she was terribly intimidating. And all of a sudden, I got a call right. from her, and she wanted to meet me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And so I got signed to my first management company. I ended up having a contract with them for, like, three consecutive years or something, um, which is a long time. But during that time um, – oh, excuse me, before that, I went with a boutique agency called Mink, which I also found online. Shot my own reel with Relentless Filmworks, which I don't know if – they were great. They're great. But it was one of those things where you know where you do, like, the whole, like – you do the th- the series of things that are, like, written. You know what I mean? But they're not from right. actual projects. So that's how I got my agent. So fast-forwarding, the first break was when I got my second management 
I was still with Meek, but now I was also with this management company. And I got an audition, uh, last-minute audition for ABC and Disney for KC Undercover, starring Zendaya. And this was before nice. Zendaya was really popular. You know, she was on her show, but she was nothing like the huge megastar she is now. And um, what happened is they had a basketball episode that uh, they needed someone to be a stunt double and so I auditioned, and I ended up getting it. I walked, and they, they hired me that day. I went from the audition to set, and I walked in, and I'll never forget, Zendaya was in her pajamas, and she jumped up, and she said, I'm so happy you're here. And she gave me the biggest genuine hug, and she goes, oh, my gosh. Yesterday in the meeting, they told me that um, I was going to have to play basketball, and I thought I could do it. She's like, but, girl, I cannot do it. <laughs> and I said, don't worry. I'm here for you. I got you. So I put it in, but I didn't realize I was not only – was I there to, to be a stunt person, but I had to right. choreograph the entire episode, or her, her and everybody else in it. So oh. I, got a, I got a stunt credit, a choreography credit, and a credit For to Casey on the cover, yeah. Yeah, and then, again, I learned about politics of the industry real quick. After, right. you know, so many days of so much work, a producer brought in his niece that he wanted to be the stunt double. And it, in all fairness, uh, she was a lovely girl, and she probably was a better physical fit for Zendaya. And heck, right. I didn't care because I found the silver lining. I ended up training her too. Um, so um, <laughs> that was like, a, you know, when you have a, a credit for Disney and ABC, it really, I right. think, helps because then less than a month later, probably like three weeks later, I booked two and a half men. And that right. really helped me. That really helped me. Yeah, you played a volleyball player, right? Yeah, I played a volleyball player. Um, with an amazing, amazing group of group of girls um, who I'm yeah. still friends with today. Um, Carly Klossenberg, um, she's, uh, I think she was, oh, she used to be the uh, partner of T.O. Um, just to, and uh, my friend uh, Alexis Weasel and then also my other friend Grace Solly. Uh, they're just a really great group of girls. And we had such camaraderie. And we worked on Warner Brothers a week straight. It was down the street from my house, lived in Burbank at the time. So I'd get up like 20 minutes before work. And it was great right. because I didn't have to do hair or makeup or anything because they did everything for you and they fed you. So I was like, this is the life. <laughs> oh, I love craft services. They, I mean, that's my favorite thing in the entire world. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes craft services can be the devil. Like <laughs> when I was on Salvage Marines, oh, my God. I, I gained so much weight. But luckily, I had on my suit and it turned into muscle. So thank God. <laughs> well, let's let's roll back a little bit. So, am I wrong that you studied Meisner as well? Yeah, I trained at the. So I went to the after I came back from Canada. The same time I was doing the uh, film fight, the theatrical academy of combat with Dan and Jan. I was also doing yeah. uh, uh, the weapons classes at Film Fighting LA. But I enrolled in. Uh, I did master classes abroad. And then I and domestically, and then I enrolled in the Young Actors Studio. Um, I also did some work with a you know a coach named Bobby Chance, but I didn't find something. I said I need a real, I need a real, I need some technique. I felt like I didn't have right. a, a toolbox. I felt incredibly inspired, but I needed something. So right. I ended up going doing an interview. I got accepted to the Sanford Meisner Center, which is the only school that Sandy actually you know certified for Meisner because he built it himself right. and he right. taught Martin 
who taught Ranjiv, who taught me. So, and then also Martin would come and guest teach us. So it's direct lineage from Sandy, Sandy himself. And when you teach Meisner, because I know everyone teaches Meisner, I think that's wonderful. But when you teach Meisner the way that he intended it to be taught, you have to not only graduate as a student of Meisner, but then you go back into the program as an apprentice for like three to four years just to be a teacher. So that's the lineage that I, that I came from. And I actually, it was a, I was in the intensive program. And again, true to my life, it became super intense because everybody in my <laughs> starting class dropped out. So instead of right. being in the Crow program for two years, I was in the program for two and a half years because I was in a holding pattern for six months and I would merge. I probably merged with six different classes and everybody ended wow. up dropping out. So I would just keep merging with another class until I graduated. Wow, you were tough. I was the lone survivor. I was the last You were tough. <laughs> That's right. So you, you, you went off a of two and a half men and you went into straight, straight out of Compton. So you were, you, were, you were hired for that gig. So does that does that make you feel like you're you're getting on top of yourself? Like you're definitely getting on top of the pack? Well, the thing about Strata Thompson, the management company that I I mentioned prior, they I wasn't initially quote unquote hired for Shana Thompson. I saw that it was obviously a big buzz and everyone knew it was gonna be big. I don't think anybody knew how big it was gonna be, but I had the inclination. But for myself, I was curious after working on the sets that I worked on for ABC and NBC, I, I was curious at that point what it was like to shoot a large-scale feature film because at that point I'd only done independent. And so I told my management that I wanted to go down and I saw where they were doing like um, pretty much a, an open call of like background work. And my, my manager was like, absolutely not. You're, you're right. supporting material at best, and if it's not, or if it's not a lead, then no way. And I said, I really would like to go for the experience and to learn, because I've always wanted to just learn. And so it was a way, I was like, how else am I going to get on a huge set for Universal and get it, be able to see what's going on? And, you know, everybody right. talks about the old adage where you go somewhere and someone sees you and get discovered. Well, that kind of actually happened, so... I went right. there and I, and I was dressed super 90s. I brought like a bunch of 90s stuff for my friend, wore a bunch of like lip letter and stuff. And I just wanted to go there to see what was going on. And then the, the person who was in charge of background casting pulled me aside and they were like, uh, we don't know what you're wearing, but here, go to wardrobe. And they totally redid my outfit. And they were like, <laughs> um, you know, um, and um, it, was, it was the 90s. I was really excited. And so, right. and so um, they said, you know, we don't want you to uh, get in any of the scenes because we might want to use you later. So cut to about eight hours later, it's getting dark. And uh, I would, and you know, we, they actually bust in people that actually lived from Compton and, and, and Inglewood, which was really interesting and kind of cool. And, <laughs> but uh, you know, things were getting a little crazy and I was in, you know, they were doing that big concert scene that's famous, you know? And right. so I, um, so I, I, uh, I, I think where we at the forum, I'm not sure where we were. And so I ended up, you know, going to, um, what was it? Oh, I ended up seeing F. Gary Gray, who directed Law by Citizen, the Italian job, and now the latest of the Fast and Furious franchise. And I told him, I said, my name is Sierra Foster, and I just want to thank you, you know, for having me. I said, my, I said I'm a... I, I was really ballsy. I said, I, I, I said, I, you know, I'm an actress. I said, here's my card. I said, I, I have management company and I came for the experience. It's been a wonderful experience, but I have to go. 
because it was it was like getting really late. It was like you know ten o'clock at night, and I'd been there since like a, you know ten a.m. And so um, I and I was by myself, so I was like, I'm gonna go. So he's like, oh okay, and he just was looking at me, and he was like not really saying much. And he just said, oh okay, okay. So I was going to my car, and all of a sudden, ten minutes later, a PA comes running after me, and he was like, uh, Gary wants to put you in the movie. Uh, can you please come? So I was like, uh, yes. And so um, they put me in a room, like a holding room, with somebody talking really loud. They're doing an interview, and I turn around, and it's Ice Cube. And it's just me and oh. Ice Cube in this room. And then Gary wow. came in, and it was just me and Ice Cube and Gary in this room. And, you know, Steve, I was so, you know, here I am dressed, like, super 90s with, like, this, like, barlet and, like, this flannel cardigan and, like, these shorts and, like, all these gold chains. <laughs> like there's a red lipstick, and I was like, I really want to talk to him, but I don't want him to think I'm a groupie, I'm a thespian, and I'm just going to be here, and I'm going to be serious, I'm not going to bother that man, and like, now looking back, I was like, why did I not just say hi? So I literally sat right. in the room with ice. I, I think that's I think that's what a lot of people do when they meet stars. They don't talk to them because they don't want to bother them, and later on they go, I really should have talked to that person. Well, I don't know why I felt that way because I had no problem talking to Zac Efron and Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> so, um, maybe you had, maybe you had you know, more of a special connection with this one person. Well, I think for me what it was was, you know, I've grown up on always proving myself beyond the way I look and my skill set. So sitting there, it's not like I could just be like, hey, I'm a ninja, you know what I mean? Or, you know, and I was in the way I was dressed and everything, you know, you hear stories about people going on to certain sets and like, you know, you know, you know, with the whole Me Too situation. But there are also some situations where people kind of create those circumstances. And I will never, ever say that people who are actual victims have created those circumstances. What I'm saying right. is there, there are, there's a fine line between professionalism and that and for me I just didn't want to cross that and I had never you know this was an entirely male-dominated set and so right. I was just at an age where I was so young I just didn't want to come off a certain type of way you know um I was in the green room and backstage with O'Shea and his son and he was he was so funny um he still owes me a bag of chips because he took my chips um <laughs> and the rest of the cast and they were they were delightful but I didn't, I didn't talk to his, his dad. And so they ended up taking me and luring me down into the crowd. And I thought, oh, my God, these people are going to be so pissed. Here they are bringing me all the way across the stage in front of everybody, these hundreds and hundreds, literally thousands of people. They took me from backstage with the cast. They picked me up, and they lured me down into the front row. And they said, okay, when we say action, Gary said, um, O'Shea is going to pull you up on stage, which is Ice Cube's son who played Ice Cube. He's going to pull you up on stage. And you right. just got to dance with them. And we're going to give you enough camera time that you get credit. And I was like, sounds good to me. And then in my <laughs> mind, I was like, this is going to turn into a speaking role. And what ended up happening is they said action. And the people were lovely. They were so, so lovely. The, the rest of the, the crowd goers, they were actually quite happy for me. And right. um, they said action. And all of a sudden, this girl runs on stage, and we didn't know what was happening. And so we just kept dancing. You can just see me actually in the film, just surprised and just keep dancing in the audience. She runs on stage, and she grabs O'Shea, and she, like, puts him in, like, a death grip. And nobody knew it was, like, this part of the film. Is this real life? We didn't know what was happening. And so the guy next to me turns, and we're, we're literally acting as the camera's rolling. And he goes, girl, I think somebody took your spot. So what happened is Gary had to come in and yell, cut. It took them 20 minutes to get this girl off stage. 
because she literally was just like a crazed fan. And at that point, they didn't have wow. time to go back and reshoot my scene. So I'm in there, but what would have been probably a feature was like a two second part. <laughs> that sucks. I'm this is the only words I can use right now is that sucks. Oh, you know, I have so many stories, you know, but at the end of the day, I won't take up all the time with the stories, but you know, all of these things built mental toughness. I got, right. I got an audition to, to play. Uh, you remember the show pitch player in the major leagues, major league right. baseball league. And uh, sure. basically that, that show, this, if you, this is the heart wrencher, but I, I have to deal with it. So I have to share <laughs> it because it's cinema, cinema files radio. So do. the short version is I got an audition to play that. And um, that role was originally written for a Caucasian woman who's a Southern Belle. But my managers got me in at the time because I also used to play softball. And so me being so athletic, they were like, okay, we'll see her. So I practiced with my Meisner coach. But when I read the script, I had been on so many rival teams, as we've discussed, that I already knew what it was like to be on a team where you're not wanted. So you kind of have to have a certain swagger about you. And that's just who I was. Um, because I was an athlete. So I went in and I was like, I know what this is. And there's a beautiful scene that happens in the beginning of an actor's career, especially when you're, you're training, you're in school where you don't have all these layers of not, it's not jadedness, but I was so raw and authentic that I was able to really bring my authentic, genuine experience as an athlete and growing up playing street ball and having to, be with people from Oakland and Richmond and, and, and having to adjust from being like a, you know, suburbanized kid, you know, from, right. from Sacramento. And so I brought all that swag into my audition and casting like loved me. And then they brought me straight to a callback with uh, Dan Fogelman, right. Who also uh, is the creator of this is us so many other right. wonderful shows. So my management at the company, who obviously I'm no longer with, my management at the company at the time, rather, they were, like, freaking out because it was such a big audition. And I had only been signed with them, less, I think, less than a month, maybe two months. So they were like, oh, my God, like, this is so huge. And, and for me, I was just being myself. But they freaked out, and they wanted me to go to this coach. And I was like, you know what? I'm with my coach, and I feel good about what we did. And they're like, no, we want you just, we want to just capitalize. We just want to make sure. And casting took all these notes because they were they were really excited because casting took a gamble on me because again right. the role was originally written for a white woman. So long story short, I go and this coach he's like, we just did not vibe. He's telling me everything against Meisner like pick up the cup like this and say it like this. And he was very like um, very allay, very aloof, right. very busy. So I didn't feel good about it. And I went in and I said, okay, well, I want to be a team player. And I and again me being uh, an athlete, I, I looked at my management as my team and as my coaches, and I said, okay, I just want to do what they told me to do. So I go and do it. Dan looked at me like I was so crazy, and so did the rest of casting. I was the only African-American girl in there, and the, and the rest were Caucasian, and they were all doing Southern accents, and I said, do you want me to do a Southern accent? And they were like, no, we want you to do how you did it. Right. So I did the audition, and Dan goes, I don't know what the situation is, he goes, but I heard so much about you, and I feel like you're not being yourself. I don't know if it's because you don't want to be loud because there's people next door, but I need you to do this, you know, the way that I was told that you did it before. And I was so trained, you know, to do it. It became mechanical. 
that and I was so nervous I couldn't I couldn't get out of my own mind. So right. see what month later they cast an actress that's six feet tall, curly hair, African American. Get out of here. Basically with me. I promise you, I promise you that character was not written like that and they pretty much just went and rewrote it based off me, but without me playing it. So that's, that's, that's crazy. That, now that sucks. They screw they screwed you up. They screwed you up. But I'll tell you, you want to know the best part? I told myself that? that would never happen again. And God bless Aaron Stonkey when he gave me the call and said that I was the top pick to play Livewire, but I still had to audition and, and I, I was going against other people. Yeah. He told me he told me that Livewire was like, you know, urban and kind of hood because Livewire's background is like, you know, she's an orphan and so she's been through a lot of crap. When I read the script, I was like, no. This is an intellectual. This is someone who's been through a lot of stuff, but who is so intelligent. And that's why all these great male heroes listen to her, because she, she outsmarted the system. She's transcended this. She outsmarted Tokyo Harada. Hara- and well, so let's, for me... Let's, before, before we get there, let's, let's first start with Wonder Woman versus Wolverine. Now, how, did you, how did you get into that case? Oh, 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 gosh. So, again, just really shout out to... Uh, to a gentleman named Steven, I can't remember his last name, but um, he has he owns lipstick television. I submitted myself again. Mm-hmm. You gotta, gotta put your own momentum out there, man. And then the universe will do the rest. You gotta put yourself out there. Um, and so I submitted myself to an LA casting audition to play a series about um, actually a group of lesbians. It's something I totally had never done, but it was outside of the realm of what I had been doing and I wanted to stretch myself and I wanted to show something that was so the opposite of me, but was uh, inclusive, but uh, theatrically was a challenge and was unexpected. So I, it was on LA casting. It was for very little money. And I remember coming back from Las Vegas and getting the alert on my phone the next day. And I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, Nope, I'm going to do it. And so I went in, I did the work. And afterwards, uh, the, uh, Steven, the director, he goes, he looks at my resume and he goes, uh, good job, but I got to ask you, what's up with all this martial arts stuff? And I started just nerding out about how much I love superheroes. And he goes, right. hmm, and has this look on his face and he goes, all right, I don't know if you're good for this role. <laughs> I don't know if you're the right for this role. <laughs> but there's something else you might be, might be interested in. And I was like, okay, right. thank you. And I was just so grateful for the opportunity to to audition. I literally forgot about it. All of a sudden, right. two months later, I get a call from Aaron. Um, they let me back up. Yeah. During that time, I had tried to, I had produced my first act. I had actually produced, took all the money I had and, and invested in my first action series. Again, trying to transition me after being on two and a half minutes as a volleyball player who, you know, wore a, a beach bikini and to show like I can actually fight and what I can do. And um, it was a crazy experience. In my, Is that my nightmares? Said, yes, that's in my brother's. I ended up, and as you produced, you know the craziness that happened. Sure. I won't say names. Someone ended up stealing, you know, a lot of my money, which I didn't appreciate, particularly because when I work with people, I always want them to be taken care of when they work with myself and my company. Right. And so when you steal from me, I'll make money back. I'm not, you know, super, I'm not, incredibly rich but when you steal from other people that's when I have a problem because when people come and they work hard for me I will give them what I have and that's what I did so when the person stole the money you know I took that very personal my brother's you know machine he told me um 
this is what you should be doing. And he pulled up Bat in the Sun. He said, these are the type of things you should be doing because we both love superheroes and we both right. love X-Men. So the universe right. had that call and I came full circle. Two months later, I get a call from Aaron Sonke and he goes, hey, uh, I got your number from Steven and um, I want to know, I'm doing this thing. I have a series called Bat in the Sun. And I was like, I think I've heard of it. And he's like, and uh, we're doing Wonder Woman versus Wolverine and I want to know if you'd be interested in playing Storm. So I was like, all right, well, what are we talking here? Are we talking like a static shock type of electricity? You know, are we talking this? And I started talking in like nerd, nerd talk. And then he goes, you're hired. He's like, just do the accent. He's do the accent and give us a measurement for the suit. He was like, right. show up. I was like, all right. So that was awesome. And well, full disclosure, I met you on that set. And, and you were lovely. You, you were articulate. You, you knew your character real well. Because I, I thought I was going to talk to you about your character. And you just went off. On your character, their oh, powers, her backstory. Like, oh, Aurora Monroe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you tried that was to, a, that... Oh, yeah, I remember now. It's all coming back. You tried to play me. You, tried yeah. to, you, tried to, you were like, well, you know, I was like, well, actually. Oh, yeah. No, I'm a big. You, I mean, now, that was, now the, people know I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know they they might have her being Black Panther too right now. So oh, I'm really looking. Oh, let me look- tell you, I know all about it. Yeah, I know all about it. Black Panther <laughs> yeah. coming out in 2022, and the whole thing is going to be yeah. where she's going to come to Wakanda, and then yep. you know what they're setting up for. You know, yeah, what they're, they're marriage. Up for. Yeah. No, but you what? Boy. Okay, so we got. So if you stay true to the comic book, because I researched this online, all the YouTube stuff. Good. So what's going to happen is. Spoiler alert, if you look at the comic books, she's going to come, they're going to get married, but Disney now has the right to get into X-Men, so what's going to happen right. is, what's going to happen is, there's going to be a war, and it's going to be the Avengers versus the X-Men, and then they're going to have to fight against each other on different sides. Can I just yeah. tell you, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, hyper, I'm hyperventilating, think about it. If I put, people want Oscars, <laughs> I just want to play that role. That's all I want. That's all I want, Steve. You would be great. You would be you would be fantastic in that part. First of all, you look like the part. You get the right size for the part, and you have the acting chops for the part. That would be amazing. Oh man! Well, growing up, you know, I, I'm so humbled to be Livewire, the real Livewire, first time in live action. I mean, that doesn't does get better than that. But I well, tell me, so tell me about live, tell me about Livewire and how that happened with with Badness on and Aaron Shank. Uh, you know, that's, that's an incredible part. I saw, I saw the entire series. I remember going out to the AMC and watching you play that character and going to the after party. You were amazing in, in that. In oh, that, in thank that. you. Yeah. Um, so uh, coming full circle, I'm learning from the pitch experience, which when Aaron, now who I'd known for, you know, a couple of years, but I didn't talk to him. So, you know, I remember being at, <laughs> I still have the picture. I remember being at a, barbecue summer party at the Roosevelt super LA hotel, which I never do. But me and my boyfriend's <laughs> time we were there and we were, we were just like, you know, hanging out. And I remember, um, I, we were at the bar, uh, party and I was like, yeah, summer, life is good. And I remember getting a call and it said, Aaron Sonke bat in the sun. And I was like, I gotta take this. I gotta go. And like, <laughs> and it literally was like the bat thing. Like you would have thought they were like assembling the, the Avengers. I was like, I gotta go. Right. I gotta take this. And my boyfriend was like, "What's going on?" And I ran outside of the hotel because it was super loud. And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Hey." And Aaron, as you know, he says a lot, but he can also be very discreet. But he has a way of convincing you. But I right. realized after we hung up that I knew nothing. He was like, "Hey, 
So there's this thing, and it's going to be cool, and you're going to like it. I think you're good for it. You're, you know, I, you're my top pick, but, it, you know, there's other people you got to audition against, and it's a thing, but you're going to like it, and it's cool. Are you available? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so after I talked to him again, I do nothing of LiveWire, and I couldn't exactly reveal all of the details, but he told me that, um, like I was saying, that this character was very urban and all this type of things, and when I read it, I was just like, no. And that's not what I get from this character, and I had to do my truth. And I realized right. from the, I wanted it so, so bad, but I had to do my truth because I could never let what happened with Pitch happen again. And I'm grateful for that that happened because although it's a great show, Pitch ended up getting canceled, but I've been live wire and I'll probably be live wire forever. Even right. Well, you, and, you, look a, you look a lot like the character from the comic book as well. So because I, I picked well, up the comic book. The comic. Wow. They started making the comic to, to look like me, but I also yeah. looked like the, the character before, but I talked to right. Dinesh. Uh, the former oh, uh, Shishimi, I can never pronounce his last name, but he's a former, oh, um, I don't want to do it injustice, but he's in, the former owner of Valiant, and at the That's time right. he was the owner. And he told me straight up, he said, the fact that you made that theatrical choice is why you got hired, because I nailed it with my voice and my inflection. So I, I, I pulled a bit from Storm, but I took, you know, the elements of being on the streets and the, all my experience playing with athletes from like Oakland and Richmond. So right. the live wire, if you notice she has a certain swag to her, but she's also incredibly articulate. And I have to really give a shout out to my brother, Nick Foster, Machine Digital, because we worked on that for like three hours. I put on a jumpsuit and I like literally put beeswax in my own curly hair and made it look <laughs> like they were dread and did my own makeup. So it was like superhero-esque, my version of live wire. And uh, I got the job. And I remember at one point my brother looked at me and he goes, you're going to ruin this for us. <laughs> and he's like, you know, we just, you know, so it, it was a good time. But all, all of these you experiences, know. my point is, all of these experiences where I quote unquote failed, set me up for a bigger win. They weren't set back, right. they were set up. Right. That's a great way of looking at it. You know, I, I saw I saw Vin Diesel's Bloodshot. And what's interesting is I think more people watched the Bad in the Sun Valiant work. Then they saw a bloodshot the movie that came out in the theaters. I think so. Yeah, I think I I I I I I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. So did you enjoy I, being on did you enjoy being on the series? Oh, I was spoiled. I was so spoiled, Steve. Like you know <laughs> you, I mean the thing is you're in that circle of like all my colleagues yeah. and, and my cat Kate. And yeah. I mean, to be with you know, first of all, Kevin Porter is like turned out to be, you know, one of my dearest friends. And then to work with Michael Rowe from Flash and Arrow, John nice. again is like the nicest dude be on the planet. JDS is like a brother to me. And I grew up watching him on Power Rangers. Um, you know, just, you know, Damien Portier, like who was the original voice of Thanos, and he's just like an amazing human being and you know even with Tatiana and just her athleticism and the passion she brings to things you know to be able to be with you know someone who was a pop star and turned just into an amazing actress like Chantel right. Berry from Australia I mean these are people I still talk to I mean Derek Feller who to me is just a mega star um I just uh and to work with Aaron and Sean and, and Alvin Hensinger our choreographer and even all of our PAs to work with you know 
Chrissy Lynn, our makeup artist, and Jill, who accompanied her, and Nicole Pepper, all of these amazing people that we put this together as a family, and it was beloved by the world, and we took this beloved property that's been around for, like, 40 years and made it live action for the first time. It was right. my dream, man. It was yeah. beyond. To fly to New York and go to Comic-Con, it was beyond my wildest dreams, and I'm just so well, grateful, and I get fans every day as Livewire. Well, staying on, staying on that crew and staying on Kevin Porter, you, you worked on Salvage Marines, which she was on with you as well. Yeah, which is so funny because I didn't know everything was so hush-hush, and I hadn't, I hadn't spoken to Kevin in, like, years, and I hadn't seen him. And so all of us, and, and so um, we ended up talking really weird over Instagram one day, and he goes, um, we were both trying to, like, figure out if the other one was cast, because we kind of felt right. like we, we didn't were cast, but we didn't know. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to really love the food, you know, in a couple months. And he goes, yeah, me too. And we were just saying all this weird stuff. And he was like, wait, <laughs> are you going to Louisiana too? Because, you know, you have, like, all these disclosures. You can't talk about it. So right. um, I was really excited and, and grateful. You know, I'd never been – well, I filmed a film the year before in Rome, but that's, like, my second home. And it was a Bollywood film. So I guess right. you could say I was on location, but I was already there. But I'd never been – on location like in the states and, and i was living in they had us there for nine weeks and i'd never had that experience before so to go right. through it with the comrade and a friend and colleague who my who i think so highly of um was really a wonderful process and that you know you know they say when it rained it, it pours but on the other side when there's sunshine it really shines and so at that right. same time i was getting non-stop auditions because i also got a new manager when I was on Salvage Marines. And so I was getting nonstop auditions. So I was doing 16, 12-hour days. And then I'd have to go and audition. And Kevin Porter, you know, he has the acting school, the acting, uh, the young actors class. And so he was really helping me with all that material. And so was Elle Lamont. My shout-out to Elle, my homegirl from Alita. Um, <laughs> she plays also uh, a boss. We play the three bosses, Boss Taggart, Boss Marsters, and Boss Ulanti. So that was an amazing experience. I've been really blessed honestly, working with Armand Asante, too, who I, who played, you know, the Sicilian head of the American Gangster, one of my favorite movies, and so many other great films. Um, you know, I've just been really blessed, and I just, I just, yeah. I'm just grounded in gratitude every day. Well, the film was directed by Sean Piccinino, and you have, you have Casper Van Dien in that film as well. How was yes. it like working with these two people? This isn't the first time you were with Sean as well, but the first time, I think this is the first time you worked with Casper Van Dien, right? It was the first time I worked with, with Casper. In um, working with Sean, um, I had met Sean briefly at a con, and, when I, and Sean did like a cameo, who was the bar owner, in a scene with Armstrong and Archer in Ninja, right. but I actually didn't work with him directly. And so I was really... Um, really humbled when he called me and asked me to uh, audition to play a role in Salvage Marines. And then after I it actually, I didn't even necessarily have to audition, but I wanted to audition, you know. Right. And um, after they got my tape, I ended up getting a character that was extended. And then after I started working, my character was extended again. Because right. Salvage Marines, it can go gamer films real quick. Real fast, like people get killed <laughs> off like crazy. So I'm just grateful that you 
know, as now I, I think about this. Uh, so that was a wonderful experience. Sean has a really, you know, he goes by like uh, the dancing director. He has a really, he just, he's like a kid in the candy store. He really loves what he does and he shows up to, to work with an enthusiasm every day. And, sure. um, he really cared about the cast and everything. And so uh, to me, it was a pleasure to, to to work with him and to kind of see things through his lens. In regards to working with uh, Casper, I remember watching um, Starship Troopers as a kid. It was like one of my little guilty pleasures. So right. we just wanted to get, you know, watching, being, a, being able to work with someone who you see when you were younger. It always has the an interesting type of nostalgia, uh, nostalgia to it. And I will say that as a, someone who was also on the producing aspect of, of the, the project, um, he had a lot that he took on with that. So to see him show up every day and the physical training that he was doing for that role was, right. uh, was really insightful and, uh, and uh, hats off to him for, for having done that. We talked a little bit about producing earlier today, about how you how you really wanted to take advantage of that and, and do more of it. What, what what is it about producing that you want it, that that attracts you to it, and how much more producing do you want to do in your life? Well, I'll be very honest. I think that as an actor, we live in a great time where you can have equity in projects because it's almost like you know when a when an artist doesn't own their own music. You know, you could be the number one artist, but maybe you're not making an income. So to me, I want to work. I don't mind working hard as we talked about this entire time, but I also want to work smarter and I want to own something. You know, everybody says they want to be a brand. Well, I want to be an entity. I want to be a franchise, one that is diversified and one that is able to, with these streaming platforms, um, create and sell content that's already created um, and, and partner with people. Because when you can do that, then you can truly be in front or behind of the camera, um, not only have, income but you can also truly tell authentic stories and show your talents and um, I just got tired of waiting for other people to give me opportunities and I feel like I have the talent the education and the wherewithal especially since I've been in politics which to me is not much different than producing Um, so I felt that I was more than capable and it's something I've always had an affinity affinity for and I think I needed a lot more experience in life because everybody wants to produce but a lot of people don't know what that is or what it entails and there's different kind of producing but I realized a strong a strong suit that I have is being able to connect people and make deals happen um that's right you know so um, I have no I have no doubt about that thank you I, I could be a line producer if I wanted um but if I was going to do that I'd rather be acting but as far as uh, right. You know, being at the level, getting EPs, and also too, I'm connected with an amazing network of people because ever since I was 20 years old, I was in Canada and I've met people like D. Daniels and all, Avi Learner, and all these amazing people. So I, I just told myself, you know, girl, either you're either gonna wake up and work all your life for someone else, or you're gonna work for yourself. So, right. um, uh, and I believe that stories for people who are, you know minorities or, or, or women or people are, 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 you know, disabled or somehow disenfranchised, those stories need to be to be told. And I'm, as long as I have air in my lungs, I'm going to strive to do that as well as uh, create a business enterprise for myself and my family. Well, you're, you're, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I mean, you're, you're, you were a wonder bot. I mean, you're incredible. 
But, be, but be, before we go, let me I, ask you I a question. <laughs> there, there's a there, there's a little girl in, in let's just say San Francisco who has a little bit of a baby weight and plays basketball is looking into acting she wants to become a lot like you what 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 advice do you have for this person I would just say now more than ever but in life in general you're not defined number one by your appearance and people may not one of my favorite quotes is people may not remember what you did, people may even forget what you said, but they will always remember the way you made them feel. And so if you have a gift inside of you or a calling or intuition uh, or a talent, feed those things, feed your hungers and not your fears, and um, bring the table to the table so it transcends your physical, whether you're a size, it doesn't matter. And always strive to be healthy, first and foremost. I don't strive to be skinny, um, and I don't strive to be, you know, quote unquote thick or whatever. I strive to be healthy and to show up right. every day as my best self. And Oscar Wilde said, you know, in the end everything is okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. So no matter what happens, just keep going. Because so many things in life we don't understand when we're younger. But they're you know, and I say this even to my younger self and to that girl, these things in life are not happening. Life is not happening to you. Life is always happening for you. The last thing I'll leave is that in Genesis it says, because I'm a person of, of spiritual faith, but I think there's a, a lot that can be taken from many religions. But in Genesis it says, um, you know, and I do believe in God, it says that all things work together according to those who believe, even the bad. So right. things are never against you and just keep going because you never know what's around the, what's around the corner. Well, I'm a, I'm a true believer as well. Sierra, Sierra, this has been an amazing interview here. How could everybody get in touch with you? How, how could we look at you at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? What are, what are your tags? Okay, so I'm really active on Instagram. It's Sierra, C-I-E-R-A, Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R, official. Um, and um, I will announce here, I started two new Instagrams. Um, one is called, this is my first big announcement, what is called hmm. Courage Over Fear, and it is a platform for people to share uh, mental health stories and and uh, get advice and be a community and overcome. And I give uh, I will be putting my live streams on for um, mental health because I have the three degrees in psychology and behavioral science Wonderful. in the fields of psychology, ethnic studies, and women and gender studies. And that's the word Courage underscore O V R underscore Fear. And then I have another page that I'm starting with my dad that I'm super excited about called um, uh, Sierra Foster Combat, where we are wow. going to be doing um, uh, personalized combat consulting and 10-minute uh, uh, martial arts hacks. So that's pretty pretty cool. And we're going to be teaching some ancient teachings and also talking about some holistic stuff to get people, you know, just keep people going mind, body, and soul, especially during this time. So that's Sierra Foster Combat. And then my Twitter is Sierra Foster underscore. And I have a fan page on Facebook, Sierra Foster. So uh, wow. I think that's, oh, and my TikTok, where it's all funny videos of martial arts, it's <laughs> Sierra Foster 96. You are incredible. You are an inspiration to everybody. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was, it was truly a pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. I just want to say you're an inspiration and your tonality and everything, the way you set up this platform of um, Cinema Files Radio, I think so highly of you. And, and I 
and I support you in any way possible. And I think that it's just, it's a beautiful, very professional thing that you've done. And uh, I just want to honor you in, in saying that and also being a fellow martial artist and an and actor and really just a, a game changer with the uh, producing and, di- and directing and writing that you're doing in the industry and your contribution. And thanks for giving myself and so many other people a, a platform to share their stories with others to inspire. Thank you so much. That's incredibly sweet of you. You you really touched my heart. You know, God bless you. I hope your family's doing well. Uh, you are an inspiration to everybody, and I really appreciate you being on. It was it was really a pleasure. Oh, uh, Sierra Foster. Sierra Foster on, on Cinephiles Radio. Thank you so much, girl. Thanks, man. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. What an incredible human being, Sierra Foster. She really is an inspiration to all of us, is she not? I mean, it's, it, you know, she talks to you about, so frankly, about a lot of the things that tried to put her down, but it, it didn't. Try to shove her in a direction, but it couldn't. Try to make her feel a certain way, but she would not allow it. She didn't even have to, to fight it to a certain extent. She just sidestepped it and kept on going with her career. And look at how powerful she is today. A true inspiration. You can listen to her for hours and, and, and feel alive, feel invibed, feel that somebody cares about you. Is that not incredible? Now, that's a personality. Now, when I met her years ago, on Batten the Sun's Wonder, Wonder Woman vs. Wolverine, she was quite a shining light then. I knew for a fact this person would go off to do great things, and she has. Sierra Foster, you are a true blessing from God, and we all appreciate you. And thank you for all your contributions, your three Twitters, for mental health. What a great idea. What a Beautiful idea to have an Instagram for mental health. As you all know, we have a radio program here for mental health as well and homeless. It's such a giving personality. Go to her website, go to her Instagram, go to her Facebook, like all of her stuff. She's an incredible personality, an incredible person, and a great friend. And thank you, all of you, our audience, for coming today and listening. I know it's tough right now, being locked indoors. But it's people like Sierra Foster that make you feel good about yourself, that make you feel like this isn't the end, but a new beginning. That when we go out and we see the sunlight, there's going to be things waiting for us, people waiting for us. Just listen to her entire conversation about overcoming diversity and you feel a sense of positivity that we can do anything especially if you set your mind to it yes you'll have your setbacks like she has but like I said she sidestepped them she didn't fight them she sidestepped them and kept on going the path of least resistance and she won Sierra Foster, you are truly a blessing from God. And thank you so much for being on the radio show today. 
We're blessed by your presence. And all of you out there, thank you for listening today. Be with your family. Love them. Call that person you've been waiting to call and say, I love you. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. I reached out to somebody who I quite frankly don't think they wanted me to reach out to them. But I reached out anyway because it's just my personality. I want to know how they were. They didn't answer back. But at least I did my best. Because I care. We all care. Take care of yourselves out there. Love yourself. Love each other. Be safe. God bless you all for listening today. This is Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you for the blessings of this show. I'll talk to you soon.